Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up and welcome to another episode of the Grindline Podcast. You're listening to episode 224. I am your host, Greg. I'm here today with Ryan and Tyler, but the bald king, Tony Ferrari, the uh, prospect analyst and draft contributor for the Hockey News, is joining us tonight on his just whirlwind tour of every single podcast on the face of the planet. How are you doing, Tony? Not bad, not bad. It's night 300 of 400, basically, in the podcast world of joining every show that's out there so should be fun to talk about guys that i'm already tired of this year (laughs) so you started writing like old-timey civil war style letters to people like it's been a fortnight since we've last communicated (laughs) yeah yeah i'm at a point now where certain people reach out for for me to come on the show and i'm just like i'm gonna be straight with you i would i just don't (laughs) have it in my body to do it at this point i'm sorry and the energy is slowly waned yeah uh but we do so and i'm just gonna gloss over really quick disappointing lottery um extremely disappointing from several angles angle one uh red wings didn't i don't think we got screwed again because we didn't drop but we didn't go up and this makes year 473 that we have not (laughs) risen in the draft uh but to much of our chagrin and just what really should never have happened in a million years is that the Chicago Blackhawks won the draft lottery. And I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I think that pick should have probably been forfeited based on, you know, the cover-ups and everything that they really didn't get punished for. They made all their punishment money back in one day of season ticket sales, apparently. So uh, a ping pong ball. And what, I think $3 million. No, they fit like, yeah. I think it's surpassed 3 million now in season ticket sales. And then if you know who Nasher is, the uh, guy who streams uh, Chell, he put out basically like, oh, man, those poor suffering Chicago fans, they finally get in a, an amazing uh, player. A ping pong ball changes their like money. Maybe they'll give them an outside gate or an outdoor game next. And he's just like <laughs> everyone's dunking on Chicago. And it's just I don't it's not deserved. And it just fuels the whole maybe the lottery is not uh up to par kind of thing that people have been saying but tony what were your feelings on the lottery right away like going into the lottery i was like i don't really care who wins i wanted detroit to win a team like montreal would be fun too just to see those guys get bedard and fantilly i think it'd be fun to just have them one in the east and uh, in big hockey markets and two 
I just didn't want to see Arizona or Chicago get it. Chicago for obvious reasons, because well, it's a dirtbag franchise. And then Arizona because I didn't want to watch Connor Bedard play in front of 35 people every day for the next three, four years until they eventually move to Houston or something. It's but he goes to Chicago. It's not obviously the best situation. It, like you said, Arizona was punished for watching kids work out a couple of times. Uh, New Jersey was punished for signing Ilya Kovalchuk to the most albatross contract in NHL history. And, and both these teams had to suffer first round pick losses. Arizona lost a first and a second. It, it just seems goofy as hell that the, the Blackhawks basically gave up $2 million. And then I think actually the number I saw today from Emily Kaplan was o- over 5 million now that uh, they've made it with t- season ticket sales. Ridiculous. So it's like they've doubled more than doubled what they got fined in that, that situation for it's just the biggest joke. I had people that were barely hot that are like casual at best hockey fans texting me going, that doesn't seem right. Does it? And I'm like, no, it's, it's kind of bullshit. Yeah. It's, it, and I even put it, I'm like, yeah, you lose your big stars and then you got to shove another one right to you because they tanked in ticket sales this year. Uh, this past yeah. season because of how shit the team was. And that's like you said, one of hockey's biggest markets is the Chicago Blackhawks. And you can't have like they did with Sidney Crosby. Can't have a market like that fail. And if the market like that fails, then they're in trouble. And I mean, God forbid you let the Arizona Coyotes fail. Like you can't the stranglehold on the NHL. Um, but I guess they also couldn't let Connor Bedard get the college experience. So. million in ticketing revenue in less than a day. And they sold 500 full season ticket packages in the first 90 minutes after the lottery results were announced. Absolutely ridiculous. Like you look at the roster that that team had this year. They had a guy named Buddy Robinson on the second line. And I went, who the is buddy robinson it's like that sounds like a made-up human name. being i looked him up he has over 500 ahl games 62 nhl games over like four seasons most of them were with anaheim a couple years ago like this human being doesn't really exist this guy this was someone they just filled a roster spot with like that's when Chell randomly generates players yeah. for your online team you get buddy robinson i i think two things first of all you said that a great hockey market. Yeah, Chicago is a great hockey market when they're winning. They're not so much when they're losing. See, yeah. 2003, 2004, those years where they couldn't even get their damn games on TV because no one was going to the game. So the owner's like, well, screw you guys. You guys have to come down and watch the game. Otherwise, you can't watch it on TV. And and the other thing is, I will say, everyone says that the lottery's rigged. I don't think it's rigged. If it was rigged, it he would have went to Montreal or he would have went to a team like um Arizona because fucking Bettman doesn't want to see that team sink. So uh Chicago, I think it was just shit luck that they got him. But unfortunately for all of us now we have to deal with it. Yeah, it just happened to be one of those years where the, the shittiest team off the ice, both and on the ice, just happened to be the Chicago Blackhawks who didn't deserve it. That's why, like I said, I wanted them to go to a, a better hockey market, a Detroit, a Montreal. Hell, even in Anaheim would have been fun to see him team back up with Mason McTavish and, and join Trevor Zegers there, reignite that the the fever of, of Anaheim Ducks hockey the way Korean Solani did early in the in two thousands. Like it could have been really fun, but man, 
The uh, the NHL does what the NHL does. Anaheim misses out on a lottery yet again. Yeah, I know. They missed out on the Crosby sweepstakes in 04, and now they miss out on this. The other team that would have been kind of fun was would would have been Washington. I would have oh, yeah. missed, but to keep Ovechkin, you know, kind of relevant and that team relevant, that would have been kind of cool. And getting a guy like Bedard to to learn off of Ovechkin for the next four years or whatever Ovechkin's still in there, like learning the little intricacies that Ovechkin has to be the goal scorer he is, I think in my opinion would have made Bedard even better in that regard so it, it would have been so much fun to watch but like you said it also would have been like ah why why do they need another guy like that i think the saving grace is though i mean my silver lining is that both him and fantilli are going to be out west so we don't have to deal with them constantly which i guess yeah. is going to be the good thing but again that packs the west with just this crazy high offensive talent and they just continue to be the weaker uh conference so it It is what it is. But uh, what I want to move into first is just, Tony, I want to stack your top 10 from last year up against what actually happened last year. And going through it, I mean, you had six of your players in the top 10 landed in the top 10. But I will give a little caveat that <laughs> GMs went nuts last year. I have no idea what happened. Um, right dropped to four. Slavkovsky went first, Nemec went second, Cooley went third, right fourth, uh, Cutter Gautier fifth, Jirasek, Korchinski Korch- was the one that I'm like, what are they doing? And then we picked Marco Casper and then Savoy went. Um, Lambert fell off your list, uh, Massaro fell off your list, Kemmel fell off your list. But what did you kind of think of what happened last year versus where the predictions were? Are you in kind of like the same thing? Like what, what were they doing? It was a wild draft. I remember... BRs before the draft, people started talking about Slavkovsky's a pick, Slavkovsky's a pick. And you almost didn't want to believe it right up until that the moment. And and then it happens and you're like, okay, well, New Jersey will get right and they'll they'll stack that center lineup with uh Esher, Hughes, and then Shane Wright as your third line center. It's an ideal situation for a young and up and coming team. Then they pass on him too. And you're like, all right, well, now Arizona, like they had to have. And then there was the them going with Logan Cooley, who arguably was a guy that was right there with right at the top of my board. And he was the number two guy. And, and then they pass on him for Cooley. And then Shane Wright falls to Seattle. And I think Seattle looks at it and they go, well, we got Matty Beneers and, and B plus Matty Beneers. So that could be a really good one, two punch down the middle, down the road. So it was absolute chaos. And then there was all the trades the Debrinkat trade, the, the doc trade later on Romanov going to the Islanders just to be the, for that pick to be flipped and everything. It was absolute chaos in that draft. I remember sitting here at home because I'd gotten sick right before the draft. So I couldn't go, unfortunately. And then I'm sitting here and I'm watching it and I'm going wild because I just, everything was happening and, and everything was happening completely off script. I think there, there were a lot of people that were going why is this guy going in the top 10? Why is this guy going in the top 10 or, or how is this guy falling? And it was, uh, it was a wild draft to say the least. It was really entertaining though. The entertainment value of that first round was really high. I was going to say, this is the shit you live for because you do all this work all year and all this yeah. prep and all this analysis for the GMs to just flip you the double bird. <laughs> and you just sit there and you go, what is happening? Like it was, I, and I would agree. It's crazy. Now, do you think this year will be as crazy because I feel like, and people say it every year, and Iserman made the joke, he's like, I feel like they say it's a deep draft. Whenever there's some like monumental talent at the top, they go, it's a deep draft. But when there's no talent like that, they go, eh, it's an okay draft. 
But do you see that much maybe movement, that much kind of shifting in the picks even after just the World Juniors that happened? Or do you see a pretty steady um, kind of setting for where the prospects should fall? Yeah, I think a lot of teams, for the most part, from what I've heard, have basically the same top five. They've got they've got the, the obviously Bedard and Fantilli up top. Then they've got Carlson, Mitchkov, and, and Will Smith is that fifth guy that I think is pretty much secured his spot down at number five. I think there's some debate on on him a little bit, but at the end of the day, I think all five of those guys are going to go in the top ten. And then it starts to really open up. I think then after that, there's a lot of guys that have high upside but have big flaws in their game. And even the guys up top, Will, Will Smith, Matt Mishkov, Carlson, Fantilli, and, and Bedard, they've all got their own flaws. But the next group has bigger kind of glaring flaws and different different things that kind of differentiate whether, whether or not a team may or may not like them. A guy like Oliver Moore could go at six, but he could also go at 15, 16, 17. Uh, do, does some team fall in love with Gabe Perot? Or do they look at the skating issues and go, I don't know if he can really be a guy that drives offense at the NHL level. Dmitry Simashev's a dark horse for a defenseman. Does David Reinbacher go in the top five? He could be the one that disrupts everything up there. I mean, I think 2003 was the last draft. We didn't have a defenseman go in the top five. So you almost have to think someone's going to go up there. Is it Sandy Palika? Is it David Reinbacher? Is it Simashev? There's a few guys up there that could go, but you look at this draft and I, I think it is one of those years where it is a very deep draft. I think this draft could rival that 2015 draft or that 2003 draft where there's talent that go at 15, 16, 17, even into the twenties where you're like, man, that's a top 10 pick in a lot of drafts. That's a guy that is going to be a real high impact player And this year's got a ton of those. I mean, you, you look up and down the draft board. Like I'm just looking down on, on my board right now, a guy like, Gabe Perot is in my 20s at the moment. A guy like William Whitelaw has all the upside, but there's obviously some major flaws in his game, a smaller guy as well. Danil Boot, D- Dalibor Dvorsky, where does he go in the draft? He's another wild card. So there's a lot of guys that could go in the 20s that end up being top six players or top four defensemen that teams go, man, it's, it's a marvel we got this guy at 25. Yeah, I see a lot of that. Our buddy Lars tweeted out today, uh, kind of just the gaps, like you're saying, uh, Dvorsky between 8 and 19, Sandin Pelica between 11 and 18, Barlow mocked between 8 and 32, uh, Leonard between 7 and 25, Stenberg between 14 and 50. Um, like you said, Reinbacher mocked anywhere between 5 and 35. Like it's in, in you think maybe by now things would be a little bit more settled out where some of the mocks would kind of be super close together. And um, I know for the past few years that I, I, when I look at the different ones, McKean's generally tends to be pretty close on, on a lot of stuff, but they're completely all over the map. Um, But where we're going to start is the Red Wings have pick number nine. And like I said earlier today on Twitter, that I'm confident that in pick nine, we will get a really good player, an impact player, a guy that may take a year or two in the AHL, but eventually will pan out to be a really impact player, which is what we need. The Red Wings need, they need offense. So I have a list of names. I have my extremely amateur scouting notes on them. We'll see if they line up. Ryan, did you ever get a chance to retype your notes after you lost them? No, they're they're into the stratosphere of hell. <laughs> oh, great. I, I, hell, I remember hell has a stratosphere. as I see names pop up right now, so I can... Not okay. completely window lick this entire episode like I usually do when Tony's on. <laughs> um, but no, I'll be able to talk a little bit of sense. But if there is a name that you, I don't know, you're just going to see the blank stare. Of Great. Uh, so where I want to yeah. start, actually, is a high offensive player in Dalibor Dvorsky. 
at number nine. So he's on there. One I left off my list for some reason, and I keep seeing him on there is uh, Edward. Is it Sale or is it Sale? Sale, yeah. Yeah, I did not is have him H on my scouting. You stuck no, in there? It's, but yeah, it's, it sounds like an H, but it's just spelled Sale. <laughs> yeah, it's Edward Sale. Um, but I've got Dalibor Dvorsky as my uh, one of my top ones. My notes, young and he's young, so he's one of the younger players in the draft. He's huge, so he's like Iserman mold type player. Uh, decent to good skater, based on what I saw. Uh, wicked quick shot, very accurate. Uh, pretty good two-way play, but he needs work on pressure situations and not giving up the puck. So those are my my extremely amateur notes on Dalibor Dvorsky, but I really liked him in the World Juniors. Yeah, I was actually talking about Delver Dvorsky today with someone uh, from Red Wings Twitter, and they were asking me to compare him to Marco Casper. And I basically went, do you like Marco Casper with less mobility and a better shot? And, and that's kind of what you're getting with Delver Dvorsky, a pretty good two-way player. He understands where to be as a center in the defensive end. He doesn't always kind of pressure guys at the point. So you made a good point there about that. He He doesn't always make the right reads in terms of pressuring guys and sustained pressure and following following up with defensive situations but he tends to get into the right spot it's it's where it goes from there that kind of needs to improve defensively for him but he is a good solid strong bodied center that has really a really good shot what i worry about with him is his skating is powerful at times he can get some straight line speed but he really lacks agility he really lacks that that lateral movement and the the ability to be a, kind of that shifty difference maker that that is so prevalent in today's nhl I think he's a very good shooter. I think his playmaking ability is lacking a little bit. I think he's a guy that may struggle and may need a guy on the wing to kind of be that transporter of the puck. When uh, I've looked at some of his transition data on Instat and other pr private platforms, and it's all very good, but it all comes with an asterisk because it goes at a very slow speed at times. When he's carrying the puck, there's a noticeable difference in his speed slowing down, especially against the pro level right, right now when he's playing the El Svenskin. He, he can deke and dangle through guys, but he's doing it at such a slow speed. You get a defender that's any any sense in maturity with good mobility. They're going to come up and stand him up and take the puck from him. And, and you've seen it happen a number of times this year. So I think there's potential for that t transition game to improve if he can kind of get more confident and generate more power on his skates while he's carrying the puck. But overall, I think he's going to be a guy that is good, a good middle six center that really excels in the power play. A guy that maybe scores 30 goals, 30 assists and, and kind of fits that mold of that middle six center that can be a, a really solid player in all situations. Maybe plays on the penalty kill in the future. He'll definitely be an asset on the power play. But his five on five game, I think you're going to be a little bit unsatisfied with if you're expecting a true difference maker. Now he is six foot one, 201 pounds, and yeah. I don't have historical height and weight data on him because that would be weird to track. But <laughs> I'm wondering if maybe in, in if he's newly six foot one, like maybe he had a big growth jump and 201 for a seven, 201 pounds for six foot one, 17 year old. I, I'm wondering if maybe that leads to some of his slower skating because he's still getting used to growing and getting bigger. And I know Red Wings are huge on Power Edge Pro and the whole NHL is. And, and skating, I feel like, is something that may be able to be overcome. Like we've seen in Michael Rasmussen, he's become a much better skater. And yeah. I wonder if he transitions to the wing in the NHL just to take more pressure off of him. And that's always been my thing is I, I've always looked at him kind of as a guy that you could really get something valuable as him with him and on the wing. If he could be a really good complimentary winger that if you have a guy like Marco Casper or, or a guy like Dylan Larkin next to him, who can be that transporter can be that guy that's flies up and down the ice and, and does a lot of the, the, the 
carrying of the load in terms of transition game, then you can get something out of Dalibor Dvorsky because he's very smart. He understands how to kind of be the bumper in the neutral zone. He understands how to play give and goes really well. He's, he's very good at that. I worry about whether or not he's going to be the guy carrying the puck, though. And I think a lot of people see some of the transition data on him and go, look at how efficient he is. And yes and no. And that's where it's one of those things where like analytics are great. I think I, I incorporate them into my work all the time. But the eye test still matters. And when you watch uh, when you watch things, you've got to confirm them with with the, with the data and with with the actual eye test. And you go sometimes you just see things not line up exactly right. And that's kind of where Dvorsky's at. I mean, it makes a lot of sense to me. And and even guys who normally are centers sometimes come in and transition, like play a year on the wing or play some time on the wing just to get used to the NHL level. But if you can have a guy like, like you said, like Larkin um, set up plays, but even Larkin, who's aggressive on the back check as to where Dvorsky does try to back check and he does get there. It just yep. takes him a little longer. As long as you can have guys that can pinch in quicker than him. I think he, like you said, could be a really good asset as long as you don't have to rely on him heavily for a two-way game just because of the speed alone. Yeah, exactly. And he's going to be a guy that does a good job on the wing defensively. And I think that's where you can kind of rely on him. If he can stay along the walls and hop high in the zone, then you don't have to worry about that speed because he's already got 10 feet on the guy transitioning out of the zone. So the next guy I'm looking at, and I I sadly crossed Will Smith off my list the other day because I'm like, Will Smith's not going to fall to nine. Um, so the next guy on my list is Braden Gager. He is six foot, 165 pound cent, right shot center. So I've seen a lot of right shot centers. Red Wings need a right shot center. Uh, my notes on him, uh, really good vision, above average skating with good acceleration. He goes to the boards and uses his size, which are two things that, again, is Iserman traits. He likes it. Um, he wore the A, uh, which is always a plus. Uh, Iserman likes the leadership uh, type guys. And in 67 games played, he had 28 goals and 50 assists for the Moose Jaw Warriors in the WHL and had 16 points in 10 playoff games. Uh, so what's your view on Braden Yeager? Like, what would the wings be getting? My big thing with Braden Yeager is if if you draft him and you expect him to be a winger, great. I think there's a lot that you can gain from him as a winger. He, he kind of fits a lot of the similar mold to Dallar Dvorsky. I think he's a little bit of a better skater, um, a little less of a... Of a high level finisher. I think he shoots a lot and I think that's awesome, but I think he does have a little bit more playmaking ability in his game, but overall, I think they're very similar players in terms of they get viewed as two way centers a lot. And sometimes I watch Braden Yanger play at the defensive end of the ice. And I'm like, you're really just kind of flying by throwing your stick at a guy, hoping you poke the puck off and create a loose puck. And it doesn't always work. He does battle along the boards fairly well. He's not terrible along the boards and everything in the offensive zone. But sometimes his effort is lacking in the defensive zone. And I think that's kind of my big concern with him. He's a guy that I think if you transition him to the wing, he can be a really good power play asset, a, a, a good shooter, um, a, a guy that uses his shot to set up passes. I think that's a really good trait in his game as well. But I do worry about kind of his long-term future as center. I think he's a guy that ends up being a, a winger at the next level. Um, if you're pushing him to center, I think you take a lot of the offensive value out of his game, in my opinion. And I think for the wings, that's not a problem, because if you look at at our center depth currently, which is Larkin and then our 2C is Andrew Kopp for now, but you assume it's going to be Casper and that Kopp is going to transition to the wing. And then if you need to play Michael Rasmussen at 3C and then Joe Valeno, I mean, your your centers are pretty much OK and you need that offensive winger talent to come in and, and develop and bring goals because that's our problem right now is we can't score goals. So. Yeah. 
I feel like if you can br- take some of the pressure off these guys and you transition them into playing wing where you can just say, go score, like use your defensive ability because you're used to kind of being defensive as a center when you need to, but your, your first thing you need to do is score goals, like create offense. And I think that's where we might get a, a plus in this draft. Yeah. I think a guy like Braden Yeager, if you can have him play off the puck, be that guy that is going up the ice and, and, and finding the back door, driving to the back of the net and, and setting up in the face off dot. I think that's where you find the best value with him. He's a guy that I think his shot is probably better than what it, it's displayed this year. I think like you said, 28 goals. He, he's a guy that I think was looking to push 40 this year and didn't quite get there. And, and I think a lot of it was just shot selection. I think a lot of his shot selection as a center, like because he played a lot of center was going to high in the zone and firing pucks from above the dots. There were a number of times where he'd be playing with Jagger Furcus and Furcus would set him up for a shot and he'd curl outside and, and get up to the high end of the zone and then fire the shot. And you'd almost see Jagger Furcus go like, what, what the fuck are you doing, man? Like you had the open shot in the slot and you decided to curl back. So I think when you take away the, the, the need for him to be the guy driving the, the line, especially in transition, then you can get him to just kind of simplify his game offensively get into the high danger scoring area, get to that home plate and just fire the puck. He's got a great shot. Use it. Does that worry you though, going into say the NHL, because you have very little time as it is. So if you're now taking that extra step and trying to skate away, you're either getting closed on or all opportunities just completely gone. And then there's likely a possible turnover going the other way. I mean, we see that enough as it is from, I'm not trying to throw him under the bus, but Philip Zadina. We've we're, we've seen flashes of what he can do when it comes to a tight situation, but hearing what you just mentioned scares me for a guy like Yeager. If he's going to make those decisions, how much more is that going to bite him in the ass and actually help him? Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing with me is that, and that's why I've been lower on him all year. I think right now he's currently at the right near the end of my first round, rather than near the top where some people have him. But he's a guy that interviews really well. I think I I, I talked to him earlier this year and. I can tell I like when you speak to him and you you hear what he's saying about his game and stuff like that, you're like, oh, like this kid would se- could sell an NHL team. I get why teams like him. But then when you kind of watch the tape, that was one that's one of the things I really like about the interviews I do is I bring up video with them and I talk about their game. And, and there are times and like I always try to throw something in where I'm like, there's a mistake in this shift. I want to see if they notice it. And sometimes players do, sometimes players don't. Braden Yeager was very much one of the guys that was like, Oh yeah, in this play here, I made a great play, and I'm like, yeah, but there's a defense, like there's a big error right before that, and you kind of got lucky and made the play afterwards. And I obviously don't sewer them on the thing, and I don't throw them under the bus while I'm talking to them because it's just not the best thing to do when you're talking to players. Like you want to make sure they're comfortable and having a good time as well. But it, it's things I look for like that where it's like you still got to make sure you're identifying the the things you're doing wrong. Um, I've had players kind of go through the interview. And then once we're done recording, bring it up afterwards. And that's great too, because at least they're showing that they're aware of their, their, or their flaws. And there are certain players in this draft class that I've talked to that aren't necessarily aware of their flaws. And, and that's really what worries me with guys like Brayden Yeager, because yes, the talent is there. They're a great shooter, but those curlbacks, the, the weird, almost like skating away from pressure, just because you don't want to deal with it. You don't have a plan B. So your plan B is just flee. I, I worry about those players. And that's kind of like you said, the time and space in the NHL is nowhere near what it is in the dub and in junior hockey in general. So that's kind of why guys like Braden Yeager and, and Colby Barlow and a few others end up lower on my list because 
either they don't have a plan B or they're force feeding themselves plan A. Is it Gen Z, Tony? Is it Gen, it is is it- Gen Z? <laughs> yeah, it's it's the children. You still see in this league now, like there's there's a lot of younger players that even just watching the playoffs now. And and that's why a lot of these leads are evaporating because some of these kids are instead of having a plan B dumping the puck in or just making the simple play, they're trying to make do too much and turn the puck over. So I, I kind of agree with you. That's something that certainly would worry me for a young player as well. Yeah, and it's why early in the season, Matafei Mitchkov was falling down boards. And I think that's why he he was even at like six or seven on my board at one point this year, because when he was playing with St. Petersburg, it was like he was just forcing himself into situations where he's not using his teammates. He's skating himself into pressure. He's skating himself into little triangles of defenders. He's finding himself in the corner and then going, what do I do now? There was a lot of that. And then when he went to Sochi, a lot of that got cleaned up. And I think a lot of that was just simply the coaches telling him, Use your teammates. Like, we'll give you all the minutes. You don't have to do something crazy to get minutes here. You're going to get minutes because this team is dog shit. But, like, so he he started using his teammates. He started playing a, a more professional game, not a, a 12-year-old playing NHL on his Xbox. So I, I think you look for players developing and, and working out of those habits. Matt Vimichkov did. A lot of players don't, unfortunately, though. I think a lot of it, too, is just realizing, and I they, some of them have to feel that draft pressure. Like, yeah, people are watching me a hundred eyes on me. I've got to look good. I've got to make all the the opportunities for myself so that I can secure my position or get drafted higher or whatever. But it's learning that, hey, I still need to play a game and I'm going to get drafted high when I play better rather than when I try to force things. And again, it's 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 the kids. And I he, he keep saying that it's the kids and I'm not old, but the the Gen Z kids are coming into the league now, which will actually be really, really interesting. It's funny because when I talked to Connor Bedard earlier this year, I asked him, what's the hardest thing about being the next generational talent, being the next one? And he he just kind of laughed and he went talking to media like you. And it, it, it's funny because like oh, it's, it's true. Like, like when, when you get guys that are, are talking to media all the time or are dealing with the pressures and Obviously, Connor Bedard has a lot more than than a guy down the draft board than Gabe Perot or Tom Willander or Callum Ritchie. But all of these guys are dealing with pressures of their own in various ways. A lot of them say they don't want look at draft boards. They don't look at the rankings, all this stuff. But, you know, their friends are sending it to them. You know, their little brother or their their buddy in high school is like, hey, bro, like, did you just see where Bob McKenzie ranked you? Like, you're down at 64. <laughs> you're not even that good. And then he's like, well, fuck, now I have to try harder. Now I have to force it. Now I have to try to earn that spot higher up the ranking. And at the end of the day, like you said, like, it's almost like just, just play your game to the fullest of its extent. And that's where you'll probably get the most success. You think that bit right a little bit in the ass this past year? I mean, you look at Bedard, they, they throw him in front of the draft lottery. Like, I, I get it, but at the same time, why are you doing that to him? That yeah. it kind of blows my mind. Yeah, and at the end of the day, like, guys like Shane Wright, guys like Connor Bedard, even Matt Vimichkov, like, you've been hearing about these guys since they're 15, 16 years old. When, when they're going in the CHL and they're getting exceptional status, when they're doing all these big things that either we haven't seen before, we haven't seen since Sidney Crosby and or Matt Vimichkov doing it, things that Ovechkin hasn't even done and stuff like that, you're like, wow, like this could be a really special player. And, and at the end of the day, like these are 17 year olds. Like I think back to when I was 17, if I was a third as talented as any of these guys, like my head would be filling this room right now. Like it's just when you're 17, it's not the easiest thing to be humble and to kind of 
look at yourself and go, no, I have flaws. Like Connor Bedard has flaws. Like everybody in this draft class has flaws. So whether you're the first ranked guy or you're 98 on a board, you still got to try to play your game and, and drown out the outside noise as hard as that is. Yeah, we're going to see uh, they're going to come to the dra- actual draft day show and they're going to drag out Michael Misa to do some interviews, even though he's not <laughs> eligible until 2025. Yeah. So, Do you think Bedard lives up to it or do you think it's more of a Lafreniere kind of situation? I don't think it's Lafreniere. I, I don't think he's going to have to deal with that situation. It's 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 he's going to be a very, very good NHL player. I look at this guy and is he McDavid? Probably not. McDavid's going to be a top five player when all is said and done, assuming he can win a cup or two at the end of the day. Um, probably not in Edmonton, but who knows? Uh, it, it's hard to compare a guy to a legitimate all-time great instantaneously when they're 16, 17 years old. Can he come into the league and have the kind of impact an Austin Matthews has had or uh, the impact that Jack Hughes has had now after a couple of years? Yeah, I think he can. Like, I think he can be a 100-point guy. I think he can be a guy that really starts to change a franchise and unfortunately not a good one, but he, he's going to live up to the hype, depending on where you put that hype. Obviously if you're expecting this kid to be challenging Bedard two years or challenging McDavid two years from now for scoring titles. Maybe that's not fair because McDavid's doing things we haven't really ever seen. Um, at least in the modern era. So is he going to be that guy? Maybe not, but uh, I see him challenging for a top five spot in the, in the league. And, being one of these guys that when TSN or ESPN re- released their their top 50 players in the NHL list at the start of every season, he's going to be in that top 10 usually. Well, a guy that I have who I think is going to pan out and I would really love at the pick we have is Ryan Leonard. Uh, Ryan Leonard is a 5'11", 181-pound center, so a little short, uh, right shot. He's mocked anywhere between 7 and 14 currently. Uh, my notes on Ryan Leonard in 74 games played has 62 goals, uh, 52 assists for 114 points. A good skater who's pretty elusive, uh, has a super like good motor on him, uh, wins the board battles and has pretty good hands. Um, but he just seems like a grinder kind of player with a really high offensive upside. Man, Ryan Leonard's one of my favorite players to watch in this draft. And I think he does a lot of the dirty work for that USNTDB top line. I think Will Smith gets a lot of the headlines. He's obviously a very special player, the kind of guy that's as shifty and flashy as they come and, and makes a lot of really good plays and, and does everything that you want to see with a, a guy do with the puck. But Ryan Leonard's the kind of guy that will go into the corner, win a puck battle when he has the puck and he's flying down the wing. He he gets downhill like a running back. He'll drop his shoulder. He'll go through a defender if he needs to. Uh, there's, there was one time I remember watching when I was in Plymouth for uh, a, a four nations tournament earlier this year. He just went at a finished defender and didn't even phase him that he bl- bowled him over. Like the finished defender bounced off of him trying to get the puck. He drove to the net and then dangled the other defender and put the puck top shelf on the goalie. Like he has the high end skill, but he also plays a lot bigger than five eleven, uh, five ten, whatever he is. And, and 180 pounds. This is the guy that plays like he's six, two, six, three and in 210 pounds, he plays like an absolute bull in a China, China shop. He is a very, very good player. And I think while I don't think he's a guy that drives a line, if you put him on the line with a really good center, as we've seen with the NTDP, NTDP, he's going to be a very, very high efficiency player that does a lot of the dirty work and does a lot of the things that that end up winning in the playoffs. Like you see the guys that are big impact guys in the playoffs, the Joe Pavelski's and 
and whatnot. He's the Tyler Bertuzzi's exactly the Tyler Bertuzzi. Like, look at how good he was for Boston. That's why their their first round series lost. Bertuzzi was outstanding. Ryan Leonard's that guy. Like, I won't be shocked if I see Ryan Leonard score a bunch of goals in the playoffs and also take some dude stick to the bench with him. Like, that's just kind of what Ryan Leonard does. So do you think there's a little bit of that in Carter Mazur as well? Yeah, I do. I think Carter Mazur has a little bit of that feistiness in him. I think he's a guy that's going to probably score more goals and than, than rack up the assists. And that's always a little bit concerning when you're projecting to the pro ranks, but he's got a really good shot. He's good, good around the net. So I think Mazur's got some of that in him. Is he going to be Tyler Pertuzzi? Who knows? Like, that's always a hard comparison, especially when you're you're looking for a guy to fill in a role that was just vacated on the same team he's drafted to. So he's going to be a very good player, has the same flavor, but maybe not the exact same player. If Ryan Leonard falls to the wings, I'm going to be ecstatic because he, he does that, what I call the Zetterberg, likes to lower the shoulder when he's driving the net, push that guy off him, whether it's right side or left side. He's not afraid to put the body on, and he's got a beautiful shot. So if you add that type of scoring presence, if you will, Detroit needs it. it, There's no secret about it. But that type of game and the fact that he can take it at both ends of the ice, which you know that Newsy and Iserman are just going to soak every bit of that up. Like, that's what I'm hoping for. And he can skate. He's got some speed. And you can never have enough of that. We've seen what Detroit can do this season when they do actually play fast and they're getting ignited by the back end and let the forwards just go and have fun. And if you can throw a guy like him in there, is he, is he going off to college? I, I feel like that was just mentioned, but I can Boston college BC. Yeah. So you, you're not going to be hurt if he does go there for a year. Would I prefer him in the AHL? Sure. But give me your BC, bring him over to Grand Rapids. We'll see what happens. But that would be, I think the home run pick to me if he somehow was available for Detroit at night. And Tony, you don't see him playing center in his career or just early in his career. You see him playing more wing than center. Yeah, I think he's going to be a winger. I know I talked to him earlier this year and he said he's played center growing up, but he feels more comfortable in the wing. I think that's where you can take advantage of the physicality along the boards. He's excellent at winning board battles and, and then working the puck to the center of the ice. And I think that's why he's worked so well on that line with Will Smith and Gabe Perot for that NTDP team. And, and thankfully, all three of them are going to Boston College next year with a couple other guys from that national under 18 team. So they're going to get a chance at least to start next season to play together again. So that's going to be an advantage for him just going into college and having chemistry with his line mates already. I think that's going to be a big thing for him. And at, at the end of the day, I think he might be the most ready out of all three of them to go to college because of the physical nature of his game. Like you said, he's he's not afraid to kind of do what Zetterberg used to do, pull put the shoulder down, push guys off make a pass to the middle with one hand and do these little things. And I think a lot of times, and, and people keep bringing up Colby Barlow in this conversation. I don't know if you, you have him on the docket to talk about as well, but Ryan Leonard is everything people think Colby Barlow is. And I think if you can get Ryan Leonard, that's a really good player to get at nine. Yeah. Colby Barlow uh, kind of floated in the middle for me. He floated between that nine and 17 pick that we have. Uh, like, I think he was just maybe a little too much of a reach to take it nine, but won't drop to 17. Um, yeah. That's kind of where and, and I struggled with this one, too, because with his his experience at the World Juniors is Axel Sandin Pelica, who I think could probably be one of the best defense, if not the best defenseman in the draft and maybe kind of prove that a little further. But I still like the guy who I have notes on is David Reinbacher. David Reinbacher, who I have looks a ton like Mo Sider. Um, again, he's an Iserman built style player, super high compete, great skater. 
um, good outlet pass. And it's just, I look at the two and I try not to put recency bias into it. And I, I think if, if I had to choose right now at number nine, I might take Reinbacher above Sandin Pelica. Reinbacher is a really interesting player for me because he, he produced obviously in the national league in Switzerland, a very good frame. He's got the skill. He's got the kind of a little bit of puck moving ability. You you mentioned more insider, and I think a lot of people are giving that comparison. I think he's almost a poor man's David Juracek. He plays a little bit more of that aggressive game, kind of doesn't have exactly the the offensive tools yet. I think he, a lot of his production nationally came on the power play. Um, he's a guy that has a lot of the physical attributes, but hasn't really put it together um, to really be that true impact player. He's playing top four minutes over there. And, and that's obviously a, a big thing. I always favor guys that are playing pro. I think it's a big advantage for them. He's got the size and the physicality to do it. I think there are times where he chases hits. I think there are times where he tries to do a little bit too much and, and that thing, that stuff can all get worked out obviously. But I think David Reinbacher is a very good pick. I think it's a little rich to take him to the top 10. I think some team is going to do it because they're going to fall in love with the profile and at the end of the day, teams are always chasing the archetypes that go before them. And a lot of people have given kind of David Reinbacher that the next Mort Sider label. But if I'm going with a, a defenseman that kind of has that next Mort Sider, then it's always hard to do that. But I'm going with Dmitry Simashev out of Russia. I think he's the guy that probably has the better profile. Like, like Sider did a lot of the same things Sider was doing at that level uh, at that age. But David Reinbacher is the guy that's getting all the hype. And, and it, it's funny to kind of see it because it is that chasing the the archetype thing, but at the end of the day, he's also a very good player that probably probably goes in the top ten, probably goes in the top fifteen at the latest. Um, but I think you could be passing up some upside if you skip on a guy like Sandy Pelika or even Dmitry Semishev. Do you think his skating is what's kind of even more elevating him in comparison to most, especially with these forwards out there? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, he's a very good skater. And when you're a good skater at his size, he's listed at six foot two, 187 pounds. I think he plays a little bit bigger than that. He's a very aggressive defender, uh, more than willing to finish his check. Like I said, there's a lot of times he takes himself out of position to finish that check. And I think his reaction time is a little bit slow at times. I think that's where the, the issues for me come up. The skating is not an issue. I think he's a very good skater. Um, when he gets to his spots on time, when he reads the play properly, that's he does. He makes the play. There's no doubt about it. I think it's just catching up in the processing and speed is that's going to be the big thing for him. The way you describe it, almost a little bit of Ed, Edvinson esque. Yeah, yeah, and that's I think that's the closer comparison is if you're looking for more outsider, I think you should go for Dmitry Semishev. If you're looking for Simon Edvinson, I think that's where you can get a D- David Reinbacher. I think that's kind of the 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 archetype that you're going after. With Sim- the only thing that kept Simashev off my list around the nine area, and if you want to talk about gaps, he is mocked as high as nine, <laughs> as low as 72. Yeah. Um, but what kept him off my list is he's a left shot, and we are so yeah. packed on left shots right now that it's not even funny. But Simashev, six foot four, 201 pounds. You want a big oh. boy, that's a big boy. Yeah, he's um, special. Yeah, and he's a better skater than Reinbacher. I think he has a, he's a better decision maker. He's great on the breakout. I think a lot of what hurt his offensive production this year was he played on a team that basically had no offensive production. They they didn't know how to use him properly on, off the blue line. There were so many times where he'd do that give and go pass with the defenders up high. They pass the puck to the, the half wall and then they sprint down into the slot. They're wide open and he just never got that return pass. 
Uh, or there were times where he'd set up a guy with a beautiful pass cross ice onto the back door from high in the zone, going high to low. And that guy would just shank the puck like he's me on the green or on the golf course. It, it was absolutely brutal to watch at times. The, and these were the things that Mort Sider was doing when he was playing the DEL in his rook in his uh, draft gear. There was all these flashes of the high end skill, the great passing ability, and then there was just no payoff for it. So I think he's doing everything there. But like you said, left shot defenseman obviously lowers him on Detroit's board because there are so many guys on the left side. But man, like he's a guy that if if he falls down to if he's at that 18 pick, despite the fact that you have a million left shot defensemen. I, I I wouldn't pass on him. Yeah, I think the the left shot right shot thing is kind of overblown, especially when you look back. I mean, y- you can have a defenseman play the off wing; it's not that big of a disadvantage, other than maybe on the power play. Yeah, is it overblown though when your GM flat out says he prefers the righty <laughs> on the right? He's to left pretty on the much left? not going to do it unless they've <laughs> historically done it before. I mean, I, I do. I agree with you. Yes, because you get you hope that these guys can play either side. But when your GM has stated it, I think you kind of lean to that, that, that that's what they're going to look for. And I think with, he'd prefer it. But I think if if he'd be there at 18, I think Eisenman would have to take him. Yeah. And I think the the big thing with that, too, is you look at the guys that they have on the back end over the, that are coming in or that are already there. The Edvinson, the Cider, Wallander, uh, if a Simishev was there. All of these guys are very, very good skaters. I think that's the big thing you need to do if you're going to play the offside. I think you have to be an exceptional uh, mobility. You have to have exceptional mobility. You have to be able to move four ways. You have to be able to make up for the fact that your stick is going to be on the back end when you're taking the puck off the wall or or you're not going to be on the right side when you, you want to make the, the, the pass to, to a certain area. You have to be able to kind of rotate your feet, move your feet, that little quick sec, uh, counter or couple seconds quicker than anybody else on the ice and all four of those guys are really good skaters so i could see them doing it but like you said they they've been very adamant about wanting to keep the 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 split on righties and lefties i mean i had one more on my list that i didn't take notes on that was oliver moore i love the profile of him i love the the ability but again if you look at the guys who are on that team that that like whole team right there is ranked all the guys are ranked pretty high so it's kind of hard to pick out who's doing the work and who's benefiting from the guys doing the work. But if you look at Ryan Leonard, I think Ryan Leonard, like you said, he's that dirtier player that goes into the areas and makes the hits and makes the plays. Maybe other guys are feeding off of it, not to discount their talent, but I mean, he was also up there, but who is your pick at number nine for the wings? What do you got on your board right now? Right now on my board, number nine is Ryan Leonard. Coincidentally enough, um, I think he's he'd be an excellent pick there. I think if Oliver Moore is there, I do have him a couple spots higher. I think Oliver Moore is an absolutely outstanding player, and he didn't have the advantage of playing with those guys. That top line was pretty much together all year of Gabe Bro, Will Smith, and Ryan Leonard. Oliver Moore oftentimes was was doing things with Ryan Fine and Will Vote and Danny Nelson, Charlie Soretto. We're all good junior players, but they're not the same level as Ryan Leonard or or a guy like Dave Perot, which was what Will Smith was dealing with. It wasn't until late in the season when Cole Iserman and James Haggins came up to the from the U-17 team that Oliver Moore had teammates that were kind of playing at the same processing speed and same speed as Oliver Moore. Oliver Moore is maybe the best skater in this draft. If you like Dylan Larkin, you're going to love Oliver Moore because he plays very, very similar. Like that there may not be a better comparable in this draft than Oliver Moore to Dylan Larkin. That was a, like, I remember the first time watching him, uh, I, I was like, Oh, this kid's Dylan Larkin. Like 
like I hate comparisons. I, I absolutely despise doing them. But it was just so striking with the way that this kid plays, especially at that level with Dylan Larkin, where he was such a so reliant on his speed early on. And you've seen Oliver Moore take those those kind of same things that Dylan Larkin's done, where he's changing the pace, he's changing his speed, he's stopping up high in the zone and then darting down the boards. Once the defender kind of hesitates, he's doing all these little things that Dylan Larkin's learned to do in his early 20s and now his later 20s. That's made him into a legitimate one number one center. Oliver Moore starting to do it already. If, if you can get Oliver Moore doing that, and he's been producing without guys that are super high end, man, he he's a really fun player to watch. And I think he if he's there at nine, if Ryan Leonard's there at nine, those would be my guys. Axel Sandin Pelica is, is also a guy I'd look at there because that offensive upside with him is just really, really fun. Now, do you think that Ryan Leonard can, like you're talking about, control pace of play like Oliver Moore does? Is that something that he could learn to do at that speed? I think when you look at those two players, I think Oliver Moore's lightning, Ryan Leonard's thunder. And I think Oliver Moore is going to control the pace of play with his skating a bit more. And, and Ryan Leonard's going to be able to control pace of play, but just by being that guy that will bear down on a defender, pull them off like a, a, a linebacker. And then when a linebacker sheds his block and goes for the quarterback, that's kind of what Ryan Leonard will do. He'll take a defender into the corner, throw him off and take the puck. Like there are things that Ryan Leonard does physically that you, you're, you go, man, like if he can continue doing that at the college level and then the NHL level, that's going to be a really special, unique player that they don't exist all that much in the NHL. So he'd be really fun to take, like a really fun project to take on. But Oliver Moore's speed is, is just as enticing because there aren't many players that, that skate the way he does. So what you're saying is we need both for the shake and bake, Tony. That's what we need. Yes. <laughs> if, if you yes. get Oliver Moore and, and Ryan Leonard somehow with the 9 and 18 pick, Man, it would be very hard not to watch Red Wings games going forward. So I want to look at number 17 because it's going to be 17, right? The Leafs are not going to be the fifth fifth, uh, team to ever come back from a 3-0 deficit and and win, right? That's not going to happen. They're they're doing their best. This is how it's going to happen. They're going to win the next three because, of course, they would. And then they'll go up in game seven and they'll give every Leafs fan hope. (laughs) <laughs> and then they will absolutely shit the bed in the third period because, of course, they would. And and they have to do it in the most heartbreaking fashion. That would be the most heartbreaking fashion. So, yeah, I do think it's probably going to be in 17 for you guys. What year did the Wings do that to San Jose? They were down 3 nothing. That was 2013. It was it 13? I knew it was around, around that time. Frame. Or 12, yeah. 2012, the second time we played. They were down 3-0 and almost pulled it out in San Jose. Ugh. See, my ideal scenario is the Leafs win the next game and then lose at home just to see things burn. But that's just me being. Well, that would be the, the beautiful thing is they'd be at home in game seven as well. Oh, that's you know how you know so the nervous many energy in that building would just be terrible. There'd be so like, many jerseys on the ice. You'd be watching players skate around the ice with skid marks on their pants. It'd be amazing. <laughs> So seven, the reason the pick would is 17 is because if the cats go on to the conference final, the Islanders pick moves from 18 to 17 At 17. I have a few players, one that has dropped pretty recently and one that I think has risen way too far pretty recently. So first I want to talk about Gabe Perot. I have Gabe Perot at 17. Uh, some people now have him mocked as high as eight. Um, I think that may be a little bit much. He's a right wing five foot, 1165 pound left shot. And I mean, he's got good numbers. He played on the national development team. He has a metric fuck ton of points this season. That is that is what he has. My notes on him are um, first note when I was watching 
a really wonky, heavy skating stride and falls behind a lot. Like he hunches over and almost puts his arm on his leg when he's skating. Um, he's an above average shooter, though, but he's a super smart player and a very quick decision maker. Those are the things. Yeah. I mean, he overperformed, I think, at the World Juniors having 18 points in seven games. But um, I, I think 17 might be an OK place to take him. Yeah, I think that 17 range is right where you start to get into the Gabe Pro conversation. I think. The mobility issues are very, very evident. I think the fact of the matter is, is his intelligence going to be able to make up for that? The the mobility concerns. I think that's the big thing because he's a very intelligent player. Um, I look at him when I look at that uh, uh, that NTDB top line. I go, Will Smith is a guy driving play. Ryan Leonard's the guy doing all the dirty work and doing all the little things as well as being the power element on that game on that line. And then Gabe Pro's connecting things. I think he's the play connector. I think. If he's the third best player on a line, he can be the most productive player on that line just by virtue of constantly being involved in little bump and run plays, being the guy that's the outlet pass, making the the next play. I think he does a lot of the really smart things. And like you said, he's got a very good shot as well. I think he finishes in tight really well. He's got some really sneaky skill. I remember um, at that U, that Four Nations tournament I watched, I think it was one of the lesser teams. I think it was Switzerland he was playing. And against those guys, his skating looked good because they're also not very good skaters. And he was able to dangle through two defenders and get to the goalie and try it on one rush. He tried it between the leg shot and the next rush. He just absolutely dangled the goalie, put his jock strap in the stands and, and put it backhand roof. He has the skill to do all these things. He just doesn't have the mobility to do it against high level players. So I think he's going to be a guy that connects plays really well. Like I said, if he's the third best guy on a line, he's perfectly fine being on that line. It's when you start to ask him to be better than the third best guy. And I think that's where the concerns come in. Yeah, I started, I watched a couple of clips of him and I watched him skating. I'm like, woof. I'm like, what is this guy? <laughs> like, it is the weirdest stride. I've like the weirdest, like weird can sometimes be good. This was the weirdest and also the least effective stride I think I've yeah. ever seen. And I'm like, if he can like learn how to skate, it'd be very dangerous. And he's a, not, he mean, he's not a huge guy. So it's not his size that's stopping him from skating. It's just his inability to learn how to skate i mean it's and I, I feel like out of everything like shooting and passing like iq i feel like skating is teach like super teachable like you yeah. can teach a guy to be a better skater so i think yeah. if, if someone gets him at a if we get him at like a 17 and he ends up being uh like turning into a great skater it's super lethal and then he's because he's a quick decision maker he's got a good shot it's just it, his ability to get to the puck is what's stopping him yeah, I, I think there are two guys in this draft class that kind of resemble very similar players. And, and this might be the other guy that you're, you want to talk about in a minute, but they've kind of gone in the opposite direction just based on their performance at the U18s. And, and that's Andrew Cristal and Gabe Pro. I think they're yep. both exceptional offensive players. Once you get them in the offensive zone, if you have a guy to transport the puck there, fantastic, lethal, magical players with the puck on their stick. The problem is they need someone to get the puck there because they they just physically can't do it themselves. It's their skating ability. You you look at a lot of guys and you're like, man, if he could take a step in, in the skating department, no pun intended, he could be a really special player. But with those two, it's like if he could take three steps in the skating department, like you need a lot of work to get these guys up to league average. But if you can get them there, man, the, the reward could be massive. Yeah, Andrew Cristal was my other one. Extremely accurate shot, great hands in tight super positionally sound, not one dimensional. He's a little small, but again, his skating blows. And I mean, yeah. in 90 and in 54 games played, he had 39 goals and 56 assists for 95 points with the Kelowna Rockets. And he wore an A. So he's like the leadership type guy that you look for. But man, 
Like if skating, skating must have been the last thing he ever learned how to do. Like, I'm pretty sure my five-year-old daughter in, in her second year skating classes is a better skater than Andrew Cristal. But it's just like, if he can do it, like you said, they're going to be amazing if they can just learn how to skate, which lucky for them is generally super teachable. Yeah, I was talking to somebody in the NHL fairly recently, and I was like, man, Andrew Cristal, we were talking about Andrew Cristal, and I was like, the, every time I watch him, I go, do you like Mitch Marner? Yes. Do you like Mitch Marner if he had no ability to skate? That's where that's where I think Andrew Cristal is. He has all of the skill, the playmaking ability. He's got a, a really good shot, underrated shot. I think he could be a guy that scores 30 at the NHL level, a guy that can get 50, 60 assists even. Like he could be a really high, high-end producing player. That skating is it's suboptimal to say the least, though. Now, I want to talk about one more guy here and then kind of get your pick at 17. Uh, One that is anywhere ranked between 11 and 62, I think was the other. So it's it's in that area. And when I watched him, I really liked a lot of what I saw. And that was Jaden Perron. Um, The one thing I hated about Jaden Perron is the announcer calls him Puma constantly. And it is one of the most annoying things I've ever heard in my life. Well, Jaden Perron, I mean... Great skater with a motor, super accurate shot, great setup guy, seems to have really good vision. And I just kept watching him. And I know there's a bunch of other dudes that are ranked above him. And uh, I feel like rankings like who's lying, the points don't matter. But Jaden Perron was very, very interesting to me. Uh, with in 61 games with Chicago Steel, 24 goals, 48 uh, assists for 72 points. And I mean, it's just like whenever I watch him, he just kept showing up. Yeah, it's so funny that you say Jaden Braun because he's actually number 17 on my board right now. Um, he's a guy that there's so much playmaking ability. There's so much motor. He does a really good job. He's small, definitely an undersized guy, but he does a really good job of establishing body position, getting up under bigger guys along the boards and, and using his feet to fish pucks out. He does a lot of the little things that you want him to do. He's an excellent four checker, both with his stick and even throwing a few hits here and there. He's not afraid to kind of get involved physically as well. And he's one of the best passers in the entire draft class. Some of the passes this kid makes, I've seen, I saw him make a pass earlier this year. And obviously there's a little bit of luck in a pass like this, but he was at the, just above the top of the, the right, right face off dot. And he feathered it through two guys, legs and under another guy's stick right to the back door of the net. And it was just right on the tape of his teammate. And it was like, yeah, there's some luck involved in that. But like for him to even see that and, and try it, this kid's an exceptional, exceptional playmaker. He's got a really good shot. He's got great hands around the net as well. And he's feisty. He's a guy that really likes to battle and he's improved his defensive game. He likes to, to kind of, once he sees the defender get, or his own defender get the puck on his stick, he starts signaling to, to flip that puck out of the zone. He wants to turn defense and offense as soon as possible. Uh, this is a really fun player. And because he is a little bit smaller, because he is a guy that, kind of flew under the radar with that NTP team being such a dominant force in the USHL this year in terms of draft eligible players. I could see him being there at 17. I could even see him being there a little later. This is a really talented kid though. And and I think the size is a factor in keeping him down. I mean, he's five foot eight, uh, 157 pounds. And we've yeah. seen guys grow after their draft year. I think Edmondson grew like four inches after he was drafted or whatever. So, I mean, he could get up to maybe the five eleven area and again that's still a little small but if you look at a guy like lucas raymond he's a smaller guy and if lucas raymond can bulk up and learn how to run through people it's a dangerous player so 
I think in, and I, like I said, I just kept watching him and I'm like, some of these guys that are ranking him, like Craig Button's got him at 62. And I think it's an, 62 would be an absolute crime for someone like Jane Prime. Like that's, that's your deeper draft or your, what's that second round or third round where someone's going to get a very, very high end player. Um, e- even though he's a little bit smaller. So that was my, uh, my take on that. And then we lined up. So I don't even have to ask you who was at number 17. Um, job, I would Greg. totally take him there. Yeah, I, I think it'd be fun to see Jaden Perron go there. I will give you one other name that I think could be a really interesting player there. And he's a guy that's kind of risen up draft boards a little bit, but he's kind of been in my top 15, 16 all year. And that's Otto Stenberg, a guy that I think was absolutely fantastic at the World Under 18s, a, a guy that was captain there, even with a uh, Axel Sandy Bleak on that team. Uh, he was a play driver. He's so good in transition. He's got a really diverse offensive game, whether he's on the outside, the inside, playmaking, goal scoring. It's a very, very good player. And we know the Detroit Red Wings like the guys from Sweden. And if Otto Stenberg's there at, at 17, he could certainly be the pick as well. Yeah, Stenberg was one I did a little bit on. Um, there were a couple other guys, but everything, like like you said, after the World Juniors, like everything kind of shifts around. How much stock do you put into? Now, I guess it's not how much stock, but how much absolute recency bias goes into <laughs> draft re-rankings after the World Junior? Uh, when you look at the boards released like a week afterwards, there's a lot. I think for me, I refuse to touch my draft rankings uh, until at least a couple weeks afterwards. I, I won't move around guys because I don't want that recency bias to click in. My my strategy with the U18s is to often go, all right, this player played well. And I, I write out a list of guys that I think played really well, stuck out to me in, in various ways, good or bad. And then I go and circle back on them. I'm going to go back into the league play where they're, they're, they've been playing all year. Like You look at a guy like Andrew Cristal, who had an absolutely dog crap world under 18s. You go back on his tape and you're like, well, he was playing in a situation that wasn't really conducive to his skill set. He was put as the four, the 13th forward at times. There, there, This guy wasn't really put in a position to succeed. So how how could he? Like these guys, they're players that have obvious limitations in their skill set. Crystal is an example of one, and he wasn't put in a position to succeed. A, a player just as similar in Gabe Perot was put with Will Smith and Ryan Leonard the whole tournament and absolutely tore it up. So I, I think you you can take some notes, you can take some kind of things from the tournament, but at the end of the day, I think the best thing to do with any of these guys, whether it's a great tournament or a bad tournament, circle back. Go back, look at the tape that they played, they put on all year. At the end of the day, this is a seven-game tournament, not a 60-game schedule or 60-game season that they've been playing all year. Yeah, I feel like having a really good player play with subpar players is much more damaging than having a good player play with great players. Because when you bring them into the NHL, a good player can play with great players. They're going to thrive and you're not going to put a really good player in the NHL with a bunch of plugs because it doesn't make any sense. There's better chemistry and and line chemistry there. So I can, I do see a ton of recency bias though. It's just, it's, it's mind blowing to me. I saw Dalibor Dvorsky going like put up on in the top five of some draft mock drafts recently. I think Craig button was putting them at five for Montreal uh, right after the lottery. And I'm like, all right, man. Like, if you want to do that, like, let Will Smith fall, let Matt Vaymichkov or whoever else fall out of that top five, and let some other team take him. Because if you're going to go and and take the super safe pick or take the guy that had a great tournament at five or at six or wherever, that means some team like Detroit's going to really benefit when when one of these big guys falls to nine. Yeah, I'll I'll take Stenberg by the way because he's a hockey town Europe over there with Forlunda. So, yeah. 
Yeah, we kind of moved from Frolunda. We we relocated Ryan from Frolunda to Rogla. <laughs> Rogla is our new That's home right. base now in the SHL. Uh, but I want to move on to round two. Red Wings looks like uh, they have pick 41, 42, and 43. Um, three picks in a row is phenomenal because you got to hit on one, right? A one out of three chance. Who's getting traded? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the other thing is I think Iserman's going to package some picks uh, to go grab a high offensive talent. But um, some names I've heard ar- around round two, and then I kind of want to get your take on it. Uh, three names that I've got in here. Noah Dower Nilsson, uh, Tom Willander. And Carson Rekop uh, are the three names that I have right in that range that that seem like they would be good fits uh, in the round two picks. Well, I'll start with Willander because he's my favorite of the of the group. He's a guy that I have in the first round, an absolutely exceptional toolsy player, a guy that I think we, we looked a few years ago at uh, Wallander, which would be fun pairing in general. There is another we, William Wallander in the draft as well. Yeah. But you look at William Wallander and you're like, man, this guy has all the tools and he just goes. He, he tries everything. He's not going to he's not really going to hold anything back. And he, he does a lot of things with his tools, good and bad. Uh, Tom Willander does less. He has a lot of the same tools, but he's reined his game in. And when he gets to these international tournaments, the U18s and Four Nations tournaments and stuff, when he's playing with his age group, you see him kind of ramp it up and go, oh, I can I can do this here. Like, I know how to do this. But he plays a more reserved game when he plays against the pros and when he plays against a higher level competition, kind of reins it back in, plays that sound defensive game and, and then just moves the puck efficiently. Very efficient player. He's like a refined uh, William Mullender. And, and I love that for him. I think that's uh, when I watch defenders, I, I always go, I want to know that you're able to do these things, but I don't need you to do them all the time. And there are so many guys that make mistakes because they're trying to do these things like these offensive things they are trying to join the rush. They're trying to constantly be this activated player, but they get burned and they, they end up losing their defensive coverage. They don't play the position that they're supposed to be playing. And then they end up chasing a guy around the top of the defensive zone, leaving the net front completely vacated or, or, or they leave a guy in the back of the net to absolutely destroy their team from the, from the, the back of the, the goal line. So I think Will Anders, a guy that really is responsible there. I think he does a lot of things. Well, I love the way he plays. I think the, the growth of his game over the last year has been really fun to watch. Uh, Carson Raycroft is a guy that I think I wouldn't be shocked to see go there. I think that'd be kind of fitting in the Red Wings pick. He's a toolsy player, a guy that kind of goes North South shoots the puck a ton. There's a very good shot. Um, I think there's some refinement in his game that's going to need some work, though. I think his playmaking ability is very hit and miss. I've seen him make some exceptional passes, and I've seen him miss some wide-open guys. There's a lot to kind of rein in in his game and kind of fix and and, and work on offensively. But he could be a, a pretty good second-round pick, I think, as a, as a winger going to the NHL. Um, and, and then who's the third guy you had there? Sorry, Oh, Noah uh, Dower-Nelson. Noah Dower-Nelson, yep. Yeah, he's a very polarizing player i think he's a guy that um gets a lot of points because he's very does i I was talking to somebody today and they were like who's the dumbest player that has a lot of success at the nhl level and we're throwing out what a question and, and, and that's just it because you can be very rudimentary in your processing you don't have to adapt to things you can just go and do one thing all the time and it works out michael bunting Exactly. And I look at a, a guy like that does that and a Josh Anderson, a guy that goes to the net and, and, and affects things, takes shots from the outside and affects things, makes passes to the middle and affects things. 
a lot of times they work out really well in the power play. A lot of times they work out in one situation and you love them for the, what they do and you hate them because they don't do anything else. And I think Noah Dower Nielsen's a guy that I think will produce if put in the right situation and he's the third best guy on your third line. I think he's a guy that I think can be a bit of a scoring presence, but not really the scoring presence. I He's an interesting player because he's very simplistic in his approach, kind of get to the net and hope good things happen. But it's worked out for him a lot so far. So he doesn't, he's not the best skater. He's not the best. He doesn't have a ton of hands. His playmaking is average at best. His shot is average at best. But he has the one really good habit of being in the right spot at the right time. And it's not even that he's adapting to play. He's just doing the same thing over and over and kind of getting rewarded for it. So what you're saying is PDO is absolutely off the charts. He is way luckier yeah, than any a, other player on the ice. A dude that would love a PDO bender in the NHL. And, and you could sell high on him at the trade deadline, maybe in a few years. <laughs> Here's the key question. Will he be better than his brother? No, I don't think he will be. Really? That's surprising. So I've fallen down on Liam Dower Nelson a bit. I think the thing with his brother is his brother's a little bit of the opposite. He has the intelligence, but not necessarily the tools. It's, it's not even that Noah Dower Nelson has the tools. He's just do it. He's just in the the middle of the ice. He just gets to the net. And I, I saw him score a goal, but just kind of facing the the back of the end boards and the puck bounced off his hip and went in. And I'm like, that's not the, those are not things that translate to the NHL. Just that's kind goal, of being there. Like, it, it, it's one of those things where they go, you go, they don't ask how they ask how many. And it's like, sometimes you should ask how I think. <laughs> so what you're saying is that he has a bunch of points for simply existing. Pretty much. He's definitely a point for existing <laughs> kind of guy. Uh, do you think a player like Oliver Bonk may drop to that range? I think he could because he's another guy that plays a very simplistic game. I, I saw someone comparing to Luke Shen recently and I was like, ah, you know what? That's not a bad okay. comparison. <laughs> and it's like, that's not a great player, but that's a guy that's made an NHL career for the last, what, 13 years? A long um, time. And, and that's just it. Like I could see Bonk being in the NHL a very long time. Not necessarily ever having the greatest career, but being a guy that's a valuable member on on a team that wins a couple Stanley Cups the way Luke Shen was. I think you play him at the five, six spot. He's a defensive presence. You don't ask him to play on the power play or be a, a whole much whole lot of offensive talent, kind of glassing out kind of guy, a really safe defenseman. You can get a good player out of him, but you you worry and, and you kind of know you have to play him with the right partner, a guy that can skate really well and make up for some of that deficiency. But if you do, you can get a really good defensive defenseman out of him. So who should we be looking at? Who are you looking at in that range for the wings? In that range, I have him ranked a little bit higher than this, but I could definitely see him being there. Nick Lardis is a guy that I really like, plays for the Hamilton Bulldogs, now the Brampton Bulldogs or wherever they're playing now. Um, this was a guy that was playing for Guelph early in the year, got traded, and absolutely blew up. He, from that point on, he was the highest scoring OHL draft eligible player. His goals uh, went through the roof. He was an absolute, I think he ended up finishing the season uh, tied for second or or sole place a second behind Colby Barlow for goals from an OHL player and uh, OHL draft eligible. And he did it in like 30 games with Hamilton. Like it was absolutely fantastic seeing the, the process that you saw in Guelph so much come over and, and get rewarded with a bigger opportunity in Hamilton. So I think he's a guy that could be big in there. He's got a lot of speed for checks really well, a little bit undersized, but has a lot of the, the tools that and a lot of the traits that you look for 
in, in that that Eisenman's drafted guys like this before. I think that's the big thing is he he'd be an, an Eisenman guy. I think a guy like Samuel Hansik, if he falls to that range, a big solid center that plays a pretty safe game could be a really interesting spot to pick around there. And then I think you get guys like Grayson Sachuan, who's a really highly skilled guy in Seattle that didn't get a ton of production this year because he was playing on maybe the most loaded team in the, in the CHL this year. And, and, but whenever he was kind of pushed into pushed into the duty, when there was an injury or he needed to fill in on the top six, he was absolutely fantastic. This was a guy that was maybe the best player at the CHL top prospects game. And that's a game that you can judge however you feel like, but He's a guy that has all of the skill in the world, has a really good shot, understands how to play the game the right way, a little undersized, but man, absolutely firecracker when he has the puck on his stick. So there's a lot of guys that kind of fall into that range. Any of the guys that you guys mentioned as well would be really good there. That second round is going to be about kind of who falls out of the first round because this this draft, like we said earlier, it's a very strong draft. There's going to be a lot of guys that I think end up falling out of the first round just purely because Ah, he's a little bit, he's a little bit under six feet or, oh, he's not necessarily the exact guy we want for these different teams at the end of the first round. There's going to be a lot of stylistic choices in this draft between I think 20 and 40. And it's just going to be able to kind of who falls to those ranges. Yeah. I think it's again, though, when we look at, at least when I look at it, it's, it's the guys that maybe some of these second round players in the past few drafts would have totally been first round players end of the first round, middle of the first round players because of how deep the actual draft is, which is exciting because we should be able to get a, a good handful of quality because Iserman stocked up on picks unless he moved, like we said, moves them for a, a player. But it's, I think it's a good, a good draft to have a lot of picks in because more darts thrown at the board and, and with the talent that's there, um, it could pay off. Light the lamp during the hockey playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can make a $5 bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. You can always take the underdog, so like the Florida Panthers and the Seattle Kraken, to win tonight to make some bonus money. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code THPN. New customers can make a $5 hockey playoff bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. In New York, call 877-8-H-O-P-E-N-Y or text H-O-P-E-N-Y. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, 21 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Let's face it, with coffee starting at $5, yes, even without any customizations, and our bank account somehow always depleting, we are officially entering a dupe session. Most products do the same thing, but are priced differently solely based on brand name. So a good duplicate or dupe is crucial for getting the highest quality at the best price. One dupe you definitely shouldn't sleep on, Raycon wireless earbuds. Raycon is a premium audio that is perfect price point, so you can listen to what you want, when you want, without breaking the bank. Raycon's mission is to prove that you shouldn't have to pay an arm and a leg for quality sound and essential smart tech listening features. You can get a pair and a spare and still pay less than you would with some of those other more big name tech brands out there. Raycon knows that in this economy, every purchase needs to be perfect. They offer buy now, pay later options. Right now, you can pay as low as $18 at checkout. They have an easy and free return guarantee, offer two years of product protection insurance just for a few bucks, and free domestic shipping and flat fee international shipping. They have over 50,000 five-star reviews. 
With features such as customizable sound profiles, earbud tap functions, noise isolation, and awareness mode, you cannot go wrong with Raycon earbuds. Go to buyraycon.com slash THPN today to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash THPN to score 15% off. Buyraycon.com slash THPN. But I want to move to what I have fun doing every year, which is the all names team. Um, there are some, there are some stunners this year and there's some just like metal names, like super cool names. And then there are just some really weird names. And I want to start with one off the top. And like I said, Tony is probably not going to know some of these guys cause they're even, they're unranked a lot of them. <laughs> um, but I want to start with Boston Harkness. Boston Harkness plays for the Melville millionaires and the SJHL had 52 games a season had one goal and seven assists. Um, but that's just, that's a name, man. Boston Harkness. Yeah, there's a, definitely a guy I've heard strictly because of his name. Um, but man, like this draft has so many fun names. Like even, even a guy that could go in the first round, did but like, yeah, I, like he was on my list. It's pronounced boot, but whatever, like we're all going to call this guy, but like plays with an ass, <laughs> whatever you want to say. Like, this is a guy, there's so many fun names in this draft class. And there is every year. It's always fun to go through the fun names. Well, one that you will know, I uh, will, uh, will vote. Will vote is a fucking great name. Yeah. Noted, noted Democrat will vote a uh, big Biden fan. Like, it, no, it, it's so funny to see some of these names. Like I, I I've talked about will vote a few times talking to the USNTDP kids. And even they have a chuckle at his name because like, Will you really not vote? Like it's it's just you could have gave him any first name and you had to go will vote. Like this this is a this is a good democratic person who's gonna go and make sure he votes every election. What what a cash cow for any local government <laughs> to Absolutely. get behind. Oh, yeah. Just send him out there as your your PR stunt, whether it is as the incumbent or someone that's going for it. Get out there now. Will you vote? Because will vote, will vote. That's and it's such a great oh, marketing yeah. rights itself. If he doesn't make it in hockey, he has a future in politics. I hope <laughs> this will vote guy is uh, is playing college hockey and getting his NIL deal. <laughs> Ooh, there you An go. NIL deal with the U.S. government. <laughs> is that legal? Can they do that? I, I don't know. <laughs> they write the rules, don't they? And if they don't write them, they make them up on the fly and they'll, they'll let them go. Is Will Vote mocked? He's mocked, right? Yeah, he's a guy that I think probably gets drafted. He's a little bit undersized, but he's a guy that a lot of times when I talk to the USNTDB kids, and I, I always ask, like, who's an underrated guy on your team? He's almost always the one that gets brought up among those kids. So I've got another fun, a couple fun names. This one, I love Wilhelm Siegfriedson. That name just sounds <laughs> like a guy like Thor who is going to go out and destroy people. Like he'll sail in on a Viking ship with a huge horn. There is another, like I mentioned earlier, there is another William Wallander. Uh, so if we got William Wallander, William Wallander and Tom Willander, I think that would just confuse the entire. I want to have Mickey uh, mid air, <laughs> just stroke out saying uh, Wallander to Wallander to Willander. And Daniel said that on his little blurb this morning on his Twitter. It's insane. Uh, that would be a good one. Jake Freelove, Jake Freelove, a uh, very 70s, uh, 60s and 70s style player. Uh, I like Lucas Littlejohn. Lucas Littlejohn <laughs> is on my all names list. The ever famous Marlon DeCanto. Marlon DeCanto is on my all names list. And I did the pronunciation for it because I'm like, there's no way. There's no way it can be DeCanto. And it absolutely is. 
Um, Phoenix Ramage. Phoenix Ramage is an absolutely crazy name. And to round out my all names team, Ephraim McNutt. Ephraim McNutt. Ephraim McNutt rounds out my all names team for this year because that um, I really hope he gets NHL games. Imagine getting scored on by a guy named Ephraim McNutt. Imagine the memes, Tony. Oh, my goodness. It'd be so fun. Like, oh, I just feel terrible if I was a goalie that got scored on by McNutt. And because <laughs> like you could just like if that kid doesn't score and yell in the goalie's face, you just got McNutted. Oh, it is just oh. he, if his if his goal like celebration is not just him going like this. He's yeah. so he's, <laughs> he's a six foot hundred. You want to describe what you just did for people that aren't watching you right now? It's the um, it's the the jerk and he's, throw. Is that what <laughs> is that what throw. you would call yeah, it? The jerk and throw. throw from the hangover. <laughs> so from the from the hangover, uh, where Leslie Chow does the the jerk and throw. Oh, um, it's actually oh, there's a there's a name for it. It's called seagulling, I believe, is what they call oh, it. God. Yeah. Uh-huh. What in the hell? Uh, so uh, <laughs> Ephraim McNutt, though, six foot, 170 pound, played for the Prince George Cougars in the WHL. 55 games played. Uh, one goal, seven assists. He's a right shot defenseman. I mean, take a flyer on McNutt. That's what I would so, say right there. <laughs> just reminds me of the old goalie that played for the Penguins and the Ottawa Senators, Ron Tugnut. See? The, game, the, the, Ooh, the yep. nut names have to come back. Tony, were there any names that stick out to you? Well, I think William Whitelaw, the guy that's cowboy, sounds like a guy that could exist in the Red Dead Redemption universe or something. Guy that goes in the first round, probably. Um, Oscar Fisker Molgard. I think it's just a fun name to say. He's a guy that's rising up draft boards, plays in Sweden. He's a Danish kid. Um, really fun, fun player too. I think he he'd be a fun player. And and he's got like he's one of those guys from Europe that Every like third letter has like different accents and hyphenations, and the O in Mulgard has a slash through it. It's it's a fun, fun, goofy name. Um, look at Oliver Bonk, obviously, is a fun one. Bonk's a great name. Like, there's a lot of guys. Ryan Fine, like, there's a lot of guys. Like, even like Ignat look. So this is a this is a hard name to pronounce. I'm definitely gonna butcher butcher it, but an underrated Russian to keep an eye on is Ignat Lutfulin. And his name is literally just I-G-N-A-T and then just a bunch of letters after that. For <laughs> like his last you just name. hit your head on the keyboard and then yeah, that's how you spell it. And it's just one of those fun names again. Uh Adam Sybe. Uh there's there's a bunch of fun, fun players in this draft. Teddy Townsend. Like there, there's a lot of like hockey names in this draft too that you're just like, oh the guy just sounds like a hockey player. I think the biggest the like the recent names. Sam Steele was one where I'm like, that's a mm. hockey player right there. Yeah. Sam Steele's a great hockey player name. But like, like from the top of the list, Boston Harkness, that's absolutely a hockey player name. Yeah. Like that's that a guy, guy that's gonna to go get out. drafted by by the Bruins, right? He oh. has to. Yeah. I hope the Bruins I, don't draft anyone. I mean, how do we do an all-names team and not even talk about the guy that slapped Chris Rock? Will Smith is gonna go in the top five. Well, of that this draft. was oh, touche. You know that like he'll have a he'll have a skate out song and everything and it'll be like Big Willie style or any of the Will Smith rap songs. He'll, oh. he'll go to he'll go out to one of the California teams and they'll just play Will Smith songs all day and it's it'll be amazing. It was funny when I reached out to the NTDP about interviewing him. 
they got the the PR guy got back to me. He's like, "Oh yeah, I'll get the fresh prints for you." Like they play Jesus Christ. Like, the first thing I asked him when I interviewed him, I'm like, "Listen, like I know we're gonna get talking in a minute, but like, what was your Twitter like when that slap went down? <laughs> like, what was going on?" He goes, "It was wild. Like I really hated <laughs> social media for a little bit there. Like it was terrible." You have to feed into it. That's it's the part of it. You got to play along because if you play along, you endear yourself to the fans a little bit oh, more. Yeah. I think that's going to wrap our show for tonight, though, Tony. We've kept you way over longer than we normally do, but I want you to go ahead and plug whatever you got going on um, and then probably sleep before your next podcast. Yeah, I've got like four more tomorrow. It's fine. Uh, but no, you can find all my work at the Hockey News. Check out the Hockey News YouTube page where all my interviews with the guys uh, from this draft class, from Bedard, Fantilli, Carlson, Smith, Moore, Leonard, they're all up there. Quinton Musty, a lot of guys from this draft class. Um, we go over game tape together. We break down film together and, and kind of get their view on their own game. It's always fun. Then we talk about movies, music and stuff like that as well. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, where inevitably I roast the Leafs for their game seven loss to the Panthers, uh, you can find me there at the Tony Ferrari. It's where we all will watch um, literally the disassembling and implosion of uh, Dangle because he, I think, I'm not sure how much more he can take before he's going to be hospitalized for an aneurysm. Yeah, if they go to Game Seven, he's uh, not surviving. I don't think uh, it's uh, that'll be the end for him. Ryan and Tyler. No, I got nothing, nothing crazy to add. Just thanks again, Tony, for coming on. It's always a pleasure. I'm glad I didn't window lick as much as usual, <laughs> like I usually do. But uh, your knowledge is always fantastic, and appreciate you sharing it with us. So, uh, other than that, RD Ryan, thirty-three, Tyler. Yeah, no real final thoughts. Just thank you, Tony, for coming on. As always, it's always great to. Uh, get some insight on on these prospects the top ones and and even the guys that are in the middle round so we do appreciate you coming on as always and you have a twitter also tyler oh yeah you can follow (laughs) me on twitter at seal (laughs) dog 91 you can follow me at bringing the way you follow the grindline podcast online at grindline pod we give a shout out to the hockey podcast network at hockey podnet for hosting our podcast and spreading it around we also give a shout out to vintage detroit where you should get all your detroit jerseys from and worked on they're absolutely amazing out there uh, go to our YouTube, go ahead and drop a sub and turn on the notifications for whenever videos go live. There will be more coming up uh, towards the draft. Stuff always happens. Uh, you can go to howieshockeytape.com. Use the promo code GRINDLINE to get 10% off your order. If you use that same promo code on Bring Hockey Back, you will get 12% off your order. You can also check out our merch on redbubble.com by searching the GRINDLINE. But that is going to do it for us tonight. So for Ryan and Tyler, and again, thank you, Tony. You stay classy, Hockey Town.